Good morning from Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Berlay. Coming up today from our studios here at Dufourstrasse, we've got Fabian Kinzelman here and also Juliet Lindley. Juliet Lindley is right beside me. Good morning. Buongiorno. Guten Tag. Guten Tag. Tell me, <laughs> what, what have we got story-wise? You got so excited. Her, yeah, her matcha, matcha her, her, just arrived yeah, you had like a matcha and I zone kind of got distracted. Anyway. So I'm going to definitely look at a New York Times opinion piece by Israeli author David Grossman. The science of lying. How often do you lie? Why do you do it? And um, Swiss traditions that are still living that include like flying sausages and dressing up like a paper flower. Okay, also we've got uh, referendums here today as well. And we're also going to be heading for the latest, or heading to Ljubljana for the latest news. I'm Guy Delorne, Monocle's man in the Balkans, and I'll be enjoying a morning coffee in Ljubljana's main market and nattering about fresh elections in Belgrade, a lickety split rail link to the Dalmatian coast, and Croatia's tasty Eurovision entry, Baby Lasagna. Oh, you're going to have something on that, Juliet, uh, Baby Lasagna. We'll also speak to the founder of Mag Culture, Jeremy Leslie, about the magazine's making his masterclass, and we'll be joined by our editor in chief, Andrew Tuck, who's going to be joining us from London. It's the 3rd of March, 2024, live from Zurich. This is Monocle on Sunday. Live from Zurich, this is Monocle on Sunday with Tyler Brule. Morning from a somewhat springy March morning, uh, March Sunday morning here in Zurich. You are indeed with me, Tyler Brule. I'm also happy to say Juliet Linney is here. Also, Fabian Kinsman. Good morning, Fabian. Good morning. Very nice to see you. Good morning. Good to see you. How's the week been for you? Good so far? Oh, it's good. It's good. Um, yeah, I'm, as you can see, I'm pregnant. So well, the, yeah, yeah, the listeners can't, but <laughs> the anyway. The listeners can, okay. but I can. And it's getting more exhausting. Okay, but, uh, but we'll we'll try we'll try to sort of soldier through the program. Juliet, you look sort of mortified about just this notion of babies arriving. Right? No, no, I'm, I'm not, no, I'm so excited. Are, are you doing so, Are you doing some coaching? Uh, no, I, who am I to coach? But it's so cute that the belly arrived first and then she walked into the cafe. Oh, that's, that's that how is big so it is. that no. is so. She's looking very very svelte and trim. Very svelte and trim. Thank you. That's exactly what I want to hear. See, exactly, uh, Juliet. Yeah, so we're talking about how, baby no, lasagna. Well, no, yeah, no. We'll, we'll do that later. But uh, how was your week? It was excellent. It's good to be back uh, away from the mountains. Very, very snowy. Well, it's actually just good that the city's actually back in its It's groove because it is always extraordinary what happens when the school holidays arrive. International schools, of course, uh, regular public schools as well. It seems to be a month of just holiday time. It's just dead, right? It's so boring. That's why you leave the city too. I didn't really leave the city, but I sort of dipped in and out. But how were the the mountains good to you? They, They were very good to me because I do enjoy going back to Italy and having a bit more affordable ski lessons for the children and a bit more affordable food up in the mountains than in St. Moritz, which is where you hang out. Yeah, well, also, but I know that your husband is also looking for real estate there as well because he wants That's to stay on this side of That's that. He wants to stay on this, <laughs> this side of uh, the border. I'm also happy to say that uh, our editor-in-chief, Andrew Tuck, is with us this morning uh, from London. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Tyler. We've got very busy fingers uh, in, in our office because uh, you've been, uh, well, certainly you've been sending lots of pages. Those pages, of course, arrive on a printer here. Um, and my colleague, Izumi, has been very busy uh, pinning them up on the wall. But uh, I haven't seen them yet because I haven't zipped upstairs because they have a radio show to do. How's it looking, Andrew? I mean, if you want to give a little bit of a sneak preview uh, to our listeners, because, of course, we we've, we've just have uh, our, wait, our March issue. Is our March issue just on news? No, it's our, yes, yeah, it is our March issue. It's on like Newstead. Ma- March issue, yes. <laughs> Uh, well, but you're, work, you're working on April right now. Uh, we're working on April, and April goes to the printers on, on Monday morning. It's kind of done. I got sent quite a lot of pages again yesterday to a preview as well, so we're a little bit behind. But it has uh, two themes which I think combine quite nicely. One is about the world of hospitality, but yes, about 
restaurants and hotels and, and that done well, but also about how the notion of hospitality should feed into businesses, into statecraft, into kind of everything you think about, to be hospitable, to look after people, to know how to take care of someone is uh, actually a great life skill. And we, that, that kind of shimmies up next to uh, Natalie, our fashion director, has uh, produced a great style issue, a style and fashion issue. And uh, she's got some of the big names of fashion talking about what's next to their businesses. So as usual, it's, it, with Monaco, it's a little bit of, of both sides of the, the consumer side and the business side. And the two combine in a cover where we, we somehow manage to bring together hospitality and fashion all in one go. Now, and I'm not going to try to drag you in as a pop culture correspondent, but uh, did you not stay up? Because I think it happens in the afternoon or early evening. Uh, were you uh, rewatching the Brits yesterday? Brit Awards, that is. Uh, no, Brits outside your walking past your window. <laughs> I, I don't think there was many of those either. It was quite quite a night. No, I didn't step and watch the awards. But the story of Ray is 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 interesting, just because she was she's ten years in in the industry. She was a voice that appeared on numerous numerous tracks, pop hits, dance tracks, but never managed to get an album out. And three years ago, she went took to Twitter, what was then Twitter to go against her. Her, her record label saying how terrible they were and how they wouldn't let her release an album. They suddenly did release her from her contract. And independently, she became a producer, brought out this music. And now here she is with winning just about every single category. So it's, I think why people love this story this morning is because it's a story of somebody who took on the might of the, the music industry and found that her own tastes and judgments were perhaps better than some of the, those who are touting themselves as music moguls. Well, I'm looking at some, some of the, the Swiss popular press. Uh, if, if we're to believe uh, what it says on Wikipedia and also Ray's bio, she is a quarter Swiss as well. Swiss media, of course, loves to uh, you know, pick up on any sort of uh, slice of, uh, of, of sort of Swiss uh, heritage that they can. Not, not, not a look in this morning. So I don't know, maybe it'll be in the pages of Blick tomorrow. Maybe it's coming uh, over, over the next uh, few hours. Um, but also Kylie Minogue was looking good uh, yesterday as well. Andrew, various newspapers also saying that she just gets, you know, younger, which is amazing at 55. I, I need I need some of her <laughs> advice. Uh, you need to do a residency. In La, you need to do residency in Las Vegas. Maybe that would help. So, no, as as you know, I, I we you me we all love love Kylie, and I'm not saying with Kylie, but I think what's great is when you have like good backing up backup dancers and things because over time you don't have to move quite as much as they move a bit more energetically. <laughs> so if they if they leap through the air and they're kind of like doing all the juggling, that's fine. You can stand, be, but she was great. So it was again that the Brits went full kind of girl power yesterday and uh, Dua Lipa was another winner. So it was it was the women that stole the night. Okay, let's uh, let's look at the papers, and we'll come back to you in a second uh, while uh, you look at the the front pages uh, in the UK. Juliet, uh, you teased us with a couple of stories. Uh, where where do you want to start? Uh, Maybe with the New York Times. New York Times. Okay. So it's an opinion piece by David Grossman. Just for a little background, um, he's an award-winning Israeli writer. As Economist once put it, he epitomizes Israel's left-leaning cultural elite. He lost his son fighting in Lebanon in the war in 2006. Yet he remained opposed to Israel's policy towards the Palestinians, and he wrote a book about it. So this piece 
is actually called Israel is Falling into an Abyss. And Grossman um, looks deeply within and he's writing how tragic is it that the fate of Israelis and Palestinians, if it's resolved in the coming months, it'll occur from exhaustion and despair, not from the hope and enthusiasm you would hope for. Um, when peace is on the horizon. So he writes that it's that state of mind, however, that often leads enemies to reconcile. And today, it's all that we can hope for. So it's it's a very uh, strong piece, very apt right now, as all eyes are on Cairo and on the talks in Cairo. The piece analyzes uh, the October 7th Hamas attacks as a moment when Israelis caught a glimpse of what might happen if their country were to cease to exist, both as an idea and as a concrete fact. Uh, they know he also looks at last year and the alarming cracks that were within Israel Israel, um, the hatred kindling between left and right preceding the October 7th attacks when there were so many demonstrations against Netanyahu and his attempts to sort of try to weaken the Supreme Court. So he then says, why? Why did it take October 7th to extricate his own country from self-destruction, if you want, and to pull it together to defend this nation of Jewish refugees? And speaking of refugees, he says, the trauma of being refugees is primal, both for Israelis and, of course, for Palestinians. Yet neither side is capable of viewing the other's tragedy with a shred of understanding, not to mention compassion. Grossman ominously asks, where will we Israelis direct our guilt, if we're courageous enough to feel it, for what we have inflicted upon innocent Palestinians for the thousands Are you going to read us the whole article? Killed. That's how it ends. That's how saying, it ends. Saying, um, we really need to be helped. Israelis and Palestinians cannot do it on their own. Will the countries who do have influence please do something for the only feasible solution, which is a and that's from the, that, that's, solution. That's yeah, the New York Times. Yesterday's edition, Saturday's edition and of that's the New York David Times. David Grossman, yeah. Fabian, what do you have for us? As I was saying at the top of the program, we've got, uh, of course, there's referendums on at the moment. Um, a big topic, of course, uh, is yeah, free walking um, around the lake. Andrew, you like this one. You're going to have to weigh in uh, as, as an urban thinker on this. So, of course, uh, we have this wonderful lakeside, Andrew, which you know very well here. And there is discussion. You know, Andrew, if you had you know, bought a nice plot of land, uh, you, know, you might have on either side. There might be public pathways, uh, but maybe... Uh, they might want to put one right through your boathouse um, as well. Exactly. And so this is the discussion that whether you can go around, well, at least certainly in the canton of Zurich, right? Uh, exactly. That whether you can have full, full access. It would mean dispossessing <clears throat> private property. It would mean dispossessing maybe someone like Roger Federer, um, who owns um, private property at the lake. And then there we, of course, have the national initiatives, which um, were like um, especially two initiatives who aim to reform the pension system. Yeah, and this is this is the the big topic. This uh, is the big, and this is the big topic for the, the three months. Well, not yeah. even the three months, but certainly uh, the lead up to this as well. And what's what's at the crux of of this of this pension story then? Yeah, there. So there are two um, initiatives. The one who's probably set to fail is the one about like raising the retirement age to sixty six gradually, but the one which is like really the heated argument and which is dividing the nation is like um, introducing a thirteenth monthly payment. Um, which would be great for um, for people who don't who are old and don't have enough money, but which would also give more money to like billionaires maybe, and um, that's uh, <clears throat> where the discussion is about. Like, should we give everyone more money? Um, and then at the same time as well, it's 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 partly at a at a federal level because it's the main mm -hmm. airport, uh, but it's also it's a cantonal discussion as well about also lengthening uh, runways oh, yeah. um, as well. Uh, and of course, this has a lot of uh, yeah. Of course, the environmental lobby up in arms, Zurich Airport, and and of course the supporters saying this is needed for safety reasons that you have this 
yeah, this kind of buffer zone uh, at the end of the runways. But um, any, just I want to go back and just Andrew, what's your just what is your take on if you had, yeah, I mean if you had a nice plot of land uh, on the lake, uh, do you want to see uh, people? And of course, you've spent a lot of money on that property as well. Should people be able to uh, walk back and forth and 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 look at you, you know, on the lawn in your lounger? Well, I think once you've got that piece of land, then it's it's very difficult for anyone who owns it to say, yes, I'm in, in favour of this. It's interesting in places where, the, the you know, for example, the coastline it, it is not allowed to be privatised. So that certainly happens in, in large parts of uh, Mallorca, for example, where I spend a lot of time. And there you have all these weird anomalies you know, where there are pieces of, of beach which be, seem to belong to a hotel. But by rights, anybody is allowed to go down to the water and get into the water to swim. So... In some of the biggest five-star hotels, you, you see a small kind of trail of people in, going for their morning dip, walking across the veranda, going down past uh, all, all, all the nice cabanas and, and diving in the sea, and actually not causing any trouble, knowing that they're, they're kind of, they are kind of there with a kind of a, a, a bit of a, a responsibility to, to not disturb things. So I don't know, you can get away with it, but the idea that people have, would be able to obviously just walk around. I, I imagine that many of these people who purchase these homes have security issues as well. So I, I, it seems tricky to introduce once you've got to this stage. But if you, if you can hold on to it like they have in, in places like Spain, then I think it's something to be championed. Uh, Juliet, I mean, it, it, Italy, of course, uh, you know, a home of, yeah, o- ongoing discussions, uh, of course, about a level of, of privatization that you could say, uh, some of it, uh, of course, uh, state sanctioned, uh, and a lot of it rather illegal, and also in this weird grey zone as well. Very grey zone. But if you do want to look at Zurich, if you think about where we live, isn't it such a pity that you can't walk along the lake? You can't walk into the city along the lake. You've got to walk along the road with all the Lots of Swiss traffic, I know, but still, I, there, there is a point to it. Yeah, and I'm not I think Roger Federer, so I don't know. No, have I think there's a, there, there's a point, but I think also if you if you listen, I I'm I love the I love the the public pathway when it dips in, but I think also. I think also good urbanism, and, and I don't know if you've got a, a view on this, it is about, you know, meandering. And I think sometimes, you know, yeah, you know, being able to sort of, you know, duck in between some houses and then you come back out on the lake again. I, I don't think it's the end of the world. I'm not sure that everyone needs sort of, you know, a complete uninterrupted walking, jogging path along the lake. But you can also build a bit of a wooden walkway, perhaps, on a li- the water, which, which, ha- which, which, has, which has happened um, else, elsewhere as well. Um, Andrew, if we look at the front pages um, in uh, your part of the world, this morning um what's standing out well for the, the on the domestic side we have a, a budget here being done by the government which which everybody believes will probably be the last substantial uh, economic call out that the government gets to do prior to an election no election date has been set yet some people still thinking it could be called for as early as may although the prime minister hinted earlier uh, later last year rather that he thought the election would probably come at the end of the year so but before the end of the year there there will be a general election but on wednesday we have this budget so it's always a tricky thing this this kind of final big budget because the the, the government wants to show that it has you know it's it's wise and it's being astute and it's being sensible with with the country's money but at the same time they need to do as much as they can to woo voters so the feeling is that Jeremy Hunt who's the Chancellor of the Exchequer wanted to deliver tax cuts but everybody's saying he's he's in such a kind of a tight corner that he if he goes for tax cuts he does risk leaving either for a, a legacy for whoever comes in next which is painful and difficult to um, correct or that he just begins to push the country off kilter again. So 
it'll be interesting to see what he does. But so to get this money, there's been lots of rumours this morning that he'll, he will stop the non-dom status, which is something that the Tories have protected before, which allows foreigners to live here as non-domiciled residents. Now, Labour had already said they, they were going to do this. So uh, is he going to steal some of their thunder? Some suggestions he will, he will tighten controls on how he gets access to people's pension money, etc. So it's not going to be pretty, but he needs to have some window dressing to appeal to voters. Um, Andrew, I'm not sure if you, or, and everyone else, I'm not sure if you saw the, the Wall Street uh, Journal this morning, but uh, a great piece. Headline is Russians keep turning up dead all over the world. It says a helicopter pilot who defected to Ukraine is the latest uh, obvious assassination, but a range of businessmen, bureaucrats and political figures have also uh, suffered suspicious deaths uh, since the invasion. Um, and this, it's kind of a remarkable story because it, it, this, this story ranges far and, and wide. And it, of course, we, we have the, the helicopter pilot, uh, of course, who defected. One of the sort of the facts which was sort of left out, uh, I think, in some of the early reporting um, was also just the amount of money paid to him as well, half a million dollars uh, to, of course, bring this helicopter uh, across across the border. Uh, but then, then the story takes us to, to Puerto Rico, to a variety of, um, of, of other places, but just an outstanding um, piece of, of reporting. Andrew, just from, from your perspective, I don't know if you've been back to uh, Spain since, of course, um, that uh, that pilot uh, was of course found in his in his parking garage, uh, but just the level of coverage um, it's it, it, it's received. Yeah, so this this uh, uh, this guy was shot near near Alicante, Alicante and the, and the, the Spanish authorities are saying it was an assassination. But it is extraordinary, I think, just hearing the story as well this morning about how uh, Russia managed to listen in to you know, Germany's military discussions about supplying. Uh, missiles to Ukraine and what those potential targets could be. And I think also seeing what's happening on the ground uh, in Ukraine at the moment with certainly some advantages going to the Russian side, it feels a really a really dangerous moment for what's about to happen. And I think that you're seeing you know, maybe a Russia that at the beginning of this war wasn't war ready, wasn't ready to uh, be able to take back control of all sorts of situations, being really aggressive. And, and, and in this, you're you, you suddenly seeing that its, it's forces, its, its spies and its assassins uh, are, are upping their game and, and seeming to move around Europe without any difficulty whatsoever and track down these people who, who, who attempted to defect. Yeah, and, and yes, not, not to mention, of course, even on, even on U.S. Uh, territory um, as well. Uh, Juliet, I want to um, jump over to you. Uh, now, you had, a, you had a topic about, uh, you either want to discuss lying or there, mm. was, or there was something else. There was, well, there were three topics, but well, one quick one. I can't even ahead. remember where I read it. The forgotten uses of everyday objects. Your glove compartment. Do you put gloves in it? No. What do you have in there? Uh, well, I've got obviously all of my car paperwork is in is is in the glove compartment. There might be an ice scraper. Uh, mm. I think there's also that um, that kind of manual parking dial where you can sort of set the time and leave it on your dashboard. I think that's in there. No gloves. But there's no there's no gloves. We could launch no. the new driving glove yeah. with monocle. Yeah, we, yeah. Well, I think we've we haven't had a driving glove, but I think we we are looking at at gloves. Uh, for next year, but I don't know if there's going to be a compartment to go with. Yeah. Okay. So where is the story? Where is the story from? Pocket on your jeans. It's it's a website called Mental Floss. Okay. A little pocket on your jeans. What's that for? Mm, I I don't mind the little pocket on the jeans because that's that's good. That's good for like a single key. Like let's say so, you gave me the key and you know I I I, I, I won't lose it. I want to put it. 
Don't lie about that. Yeah. That's the next topic. But it's actually for pocket watches. I bet Is you didn't it? know that. Andrew, yeah. did you know there that? You Andrew, did you know that? I always keep my pocket watch in See, there. I knew That's he it. knew. Where else would I put it? <laughs> but what about what about your glove compartment? Is it a catastrophe or is it sort of well edited and neat and tidy oh, with, well with, 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 with Muji organizers inside? <laughs> there's no Muji organizer. I don't think there's anything of interest in there these days because in, in the past you'd have like a an A to Z or a, a map or something or something. Some mints maybe. Mints. Yeah, mints. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, some, some I mints sit at the well, console though. Yeah, yeah, although what my, my parents used to call car sweets, a tin of car sweets. Oh, are, remember though, travel sweets. But were yeah. those in a like metal seats. tin. Yeah, yeah in metal tin. Right, right? But, yeah. but do they have something sort of pacifying? Was there like a, some, some type of chemical in them I, that was just for the kids how, and they pass how, out? How, how the, I don't know how they became, <laughs> I don't know how they became the car sweet. They were a tin of boiled yeah, sweets. Yeah, no, I, I remember. I, but I, but why, why did they, why, why was this in as a necessity to have a tin of boiled sweets as you went out? But wasn't there something about I giving your kids a sweet so do they, would, they was... don't throw up in the back seat? Oh, do you think? Is, I don't know. Uh, Anti-nausea tablets. I'm, I'm not they sure. Were they were all, I seem to remember they were always covered in like, kind of like sugar. icing sugar. Di- and, and exactly. And then it would get down the front so of your jumper, wouldn't it, Andrew? Oh, and then you get <laughs> sticky car seats as well. Oh, God. Go sticky uh, car seats. Uh, Fabian, what else? What else? We don't need to know about the glove compartment. Uh, anything else caught your eye in the Swiss or international press? Any other stories for us? Oh, yeah, I did. Um, uh, have you heard about a TikTok clinic in Tune? The TikTok the clinic, clinic in Tune. Yeah, okay, treat. and that that would be that's T H U N listeners, not T U N E. But anyway, yes, tell <laughs> us about it. It's a, it's for treating people, especially like younger people who are addicted to uh, social networks, and to teach them. And uh, they have limited space. All of the rooms are booked like out. booked out, and uh, they are they are raising the capacity to thirty. I think 30 rooms till the end of April. So, and how, how do we know how long you check in for and also what the, the daily rate that, would be? I think that depends on how bad it is. But like, I mean, it's for like 18 to 45 year olds, I think. Wow. And, yeah. and I mean, yeah, if I'm, if I'm looking at my behavior, I often wondered like if I need to like detach from my phone, from social networks and people there like learn to like learn to compensate learn to do something else instead of using I wonder what they learn like crochet or knitting or something there's right <laughs> exactly. well, analog from but I was also going to say but Andrew there's a story that's um, of course bubbled up this week in uh, in the UK which is of course about this one mom who is now you know really advocating a bit of a of a safe zone moment uh, that we should have schools you know without mobiles and this whole idea that you know this this notion that uh, of course you know you hear many parents say I oh, you know my kids not going to get a you know a, a, a smartphone until they're 16 but then of course what happens, Juliet? Social suicide, then, like, as my right, teenage yeah. daughter yeah. will tell you. 16, forget it. I mean, our school, Izumi, is sitting here nearby, and our children go to the same school. It is a, a phone-free zone until they get out of school at 4 o'clock. There might now, be how, some sneaking into the bathrooms. You think but so, yeah. Ge- no, and that's, I mean, a lot of schools don't even have that. Right. That's like the basic. But how do they, infor- but, how do they, how do they enforce it? Well, you get it taken away until the end of the day or the end of the week if you are caught. I see nodding. And not that our children have ever been caught. No, of either, course not. Absolutely. We know how much you love children. No, but... But going back to the TikTok clinic, I am curious to know how much would that cost per day, and what's the average age well, also of whether, the offender? Whether whether oh, insurance also patient. covers it as well, because if your kid's got a as real problem, it was, I, it was, these clinics sure. wouldn't be cheap. You're pretty sure well. it would be covered. And then you, and then you have then you have to get a diagnosis from the doctor as well before you can probably check yeah. your kid in, right? Wow. Or, or yourself. 
as oh, well. No, not myself. No, not you, no, not yourself. You don't have TikTok either, but yeah. But like, but, if it's treated like a mental health issue, of course, it's probably there's like probably a contribution at least from the insurance. From the insurance. Andrew, just b- before we uh, we go to the to the news headlines, uh, this this sort of idea of these, yeah, safe zones. Uh, you know, how are they going to, of course, uh, you know, enforce this? Um, is it gaining, um, you know, significant traction? I mean, I just I heard that that uh, of course it went from five thousand, uh, you know, whatever parents signing up to this thing uh, to many tens of thousands of now uh, or we guess the government's got more things to worry about well the government has said that it should definitely happen and actually there are many schools here who do already you know, state schools as well who who don't allow children to use uh, phones during the day and we actually have a little piece in the next issue which is about another company that's that has these you, you go away for the weekend you stay in a cabin it, it used to be for adults to kind of detox but now it's kind of like enforced encamped phone free spaces for children as well but I just wonder whether TikTok and Toon do you think they advertise on TikTok to find their their, their, their patients and it also sounds catchy as well right yeah but TikTok and Toon Instagram and Samarden each town should find its cure I, th- I think already Juliet was already at Instagram and Samadhan or, yeah, or, 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 or <laughs> somewhere near that. Uh, Andrew Tuck in London, have a lovely, lovely Sunday. I'm sure we'll be catching up on pages and other things uh, later. It's uh, just come to the uh, to the bottom of the hour. We're going to be heading to Ljubljana uh, in a moment as well. We'll also be talking about magazines with Jeremy Leslie. But before that, Emma Nelson is in London with the news headlines. Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. Mediators trying to bring about a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war are expected to reconvene in Cairo today. Israel and Hamas delegations are also expected, although it's understood Israel won't send a delegation until it receives a full list of hostages who are still alive. Russia and China have both said it is impossible to discuss a Ukrainian settlement without Moscow's participation. The Russian Deputy Foreign Minister and China's Special Representative for Eurasian Affairs met yesterday in Moscow to discuss a political settlement for the Ukrainian war. The German government's investigating how Russia managed to intercept a secret meeting of military officers discussing arms to Ukraine. Chancellor Olaf Scholz said it was a very serious matter. 60 goats employed to clear a beauty spot in a city in Texas have escaped their enclosure and then went on the rampage. The five dozen animals broke free from the patch of land they were grazing in Arlington. The 60 animals travelled at speed en masse and had to be wrangled by police. And a cruise company has introduced a policy to stop sun seekers from hogging poolside spots while on board. Staff on board Carnival Cruises line ships will place stickers on unattended loungers. If after 40 minutes the beds are still unoccupied and the stickers are there, the passengers' items will be removed. And those are the headlines. Back to you, Tyler, in Zurich. OK, Emma, let's unpack this. <laughs> This this es- this espionage uh, story, uh, of course, a little bit earlier we were touching on, of course, uh, the assassinations uh, that have been happening around the world. Uh, now, of course, here we have uh, this this story of a conversation between uh, the German military um, and the potential deployment, uh, of course, of a uh, of, of what is essentially a, a, a cruise missile called the Taurus. Um, now, we're, we're told uh, that, of course, uh, discussions like this should be happening on secure channels, but we 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 find out uh, during 
Spiegel and other people reporting that um, it, this conversation did not happen on a secure channel. It happened on WebEx. I mean, you and I might as well have been discussing it on radio. It sounds, it sounds like. Um, I just wondering sort of what the, the repercussions are going to be uh, from, from all of this, because we, here we have Mr. Schultz saying, yes, we're taking this bit very seriously. Well, I would hope so, uh, Herr Schultz. Uh, but then, of course, what, what is the shakedown? It's a little bit also like, how do you sort of discipline people around a mobile phone? It's, oh, it's really easy to use WebEx. Probably complicated, I would imagine, to get onto the secure channel or not. Who knows? Um, but maybe sort of just easier to just sort of dial WebEx and away you go. Exactly. I mean, there's a couple of issues that, that you raise there, which are entirely practical ones. The first one is, I, I wonder if military and espionage leaders are actually able to use WebEx, because sometimes they need a helper to connect them through, because you often get people on mute. It's like we've all been on those moments when people are not quite as technically adept as they possibly need to be to fully participate in the meeting. But also, it's can the German espionage chief or, or whoever it is be bothered to leave their back bedroom where they've been giving themselves an impromptu pedicure for the last three years and actually go into an office and sit down and do something? I wonder. I wonder what the... I imagine, I would hope, that a, a, a room in a German ministry would be slightly more secure and slightly less bugged than a, web, than a, than a hackable WebEx, but maybe, maybe I'm being naive there. Well, I have a bit of late-breaking news. One of our guests in the audience actually just passed me a note, um, actually sort of very cloak and dagger as well, which says that the Swiss Ministry of Foreign Affairs also uses WebEx. So th- there you go. Well, this is now your opportunity to have a word, Tyler, because they may be listening. <laughs> no longer to do that. Exactly. Um, Julie, anything, anything to add you want? You no, want? but isn't the point that the hackers are always kind of going to be a step ahead, and that's what worries us all the most. Talking well, about yeah, AI but of course, and... anyone could sort of be on the WebEx system hiding around the corner, maybe. I, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Fabian, sorry. You can use Webex, but don't have like the sensitive talks over Webex. And also, like, I mean, no, do them in like yeah. a, a cafe quietly. <laughs> no one can right? hear you in a cafe. Monaco cafe. No, God. Monaco's bugged. How often have you had politicians sitting around here? Oh, I think all the time. We might even have one now. But anyway, we won't talk about it, ladies and gentlemen. Um, just Emma, very quickly. You know, you know who's in the room, but we won't we won't say his name. We're not allowed um, to. I know one of one of our one of our former contributors. But um, listen. Emma, I mean, just quickly, I want to just rewind very, very quickly to this this notion of, uh, of course, uh, mobile phones in school, not in school. Hmm. Bring in your own family experience, please. Okay, so uh, we held off and held off and held off. Our son is now 12 and has an hour and a bit long commute to school every single day across London. This is this is how London kids work. They they become very self-sufficient very quickly. Um, we all know that if you once you let a child near a phone, that's it. You've lost them until, well, we don't know until, until when we've lost them but there's an awful lot of campaigning by people who say take these phones away from kids but from a parent's point of view I can see where he is uh, at any time any place it's brilliant I know exactly what he's doing he is also able to get himself out of trouble if he gets lost if he gets stuck he can find a map there are practical elements to having a mobile phone for a for a child, which actually, if the child is going to be independent in any way, they need to learn it really fast. But there's been this sort of strange rhetoric this last week where the government has jumped on to very considerable and and valid concerns. But as Andrew said a little bit earlier, most schools, in fact, every school that I know, bans mobile phones anyway. So it almost seems to be a sort of a, a, a repetition of things that exist. When my son gets to school, he puts his phone away in his locker and he's not allowed it until he leaves school at the end of the day and it's all checked. So so there are there are arguments on both sides, but if it encourages a child to be more independent, then fine, I, I have to let him have a smartphone. 
Of course, Emma, as we've probably talked about already, it would be great if we could just give them an old-fashioned Motorola that is like... You can, though. You can get them a good old Nokia. I know, but this is where we all... I mean, I think you too, Emma. We haven't just given them a pick up the phone and use it if it's an emergency and I can track you and that's it. So then it ends up that they're kind of looking at their phone for a million other things. And you've got to put in all these controls. I'd rather not my son get beaten up at school when he goes to this Motorola. Oh, poor Fabi, no, poor Fabi and Kinsman is wincing here, Can't thinking about you know the world it. of children and and whatnot. Anyway, listen, I think by the time the baby comes out, wincing. there'll be a phone implanted in its head or something like that. Let's True. let's see. Technology is moving incredibly fast. Uh, let's uh, let's head over to Ljubljana right now to speak to our correspondent in the Balkans. Guy Delaney uh, is there for us this morning. Good morning, Guy. Good morning, Tyler. Good morning, everyone. And I'm at a cafe at uh, Ljubljana Market, so anyone who wants to can overhear me. And goodness knows what secrets they'll pick up. Oh, well, I was just wondering, actually, probably once upon a time, uh, maybe, well, maybe more, it was more Trieste, not very far from you, was a bit of an espionage uh, hotbed. Uh, but do, do you feel this could also be happening in Ljubljana right now? Or it's not well connected <laughs> enough? Well, do you know what? We did have a bit of a spy scandal, which is still ongoing here, um, where people who had a house uh, just around the corner from our children's school, funnily enough, um, were arrested and they're still being held as Russian spies. And I've uh, just read the other day, actually, that uh, they're probably going to be used in some sort of a prisoner swap coming up. Uh, But this was a married couple, outwardly respectable, one running an art gallery, uh, the other one running uh, some sort of uh, tech company to sort out networking and offices. And uh, they've been in custody, I think, now for about the best part of two years, um, charged with espionage. Yeah, but I mean, you could see that coming around the corner, gallerist, you know, and then yeah. someone who's doing <laughs> IT. Listen, anyway, um, guy, we've got um, a lot of stories to get through. We can talk about, uh, you talked about a lickety split uh, train to the coast. We'll save baby lasagna uh, t- till the end. Of course, this is Croatia's mm. Eurovision entry. Uh, maybe we head uh, to, to Serbia and uh, the elections there. Indeed, because it was controversial, it has to be said, in December when we had the elections in Serbia. We didn't just have parliamentary elections, uh, which were very clearly won by the governing progressive party of President Aleksandr Vucic, uh, but we also had some municipal elections. And there was a lot of controversy over the Belgrade city assembly elections, because that was one where the opposition really felt like they had a chance to take control of the city assembly of the capital and, you know, get a foothold back in the sort of on the rungs of power. And there were all sorts of allegations about voter busing, ghost voters, a lot of which were quite credible and backed up by independent monitors. And the authorities appear to have found a a way out of this, which is uh, not entirely elegant, but it is a way out, and which is that there are now going to be new elections, not a rerun, but new elections, on the grounds that they were not able to form a majority in the city assembly. So they had a couple of goes at this, just for form's sake, the most recent of which was on Friday. And now the word coming out over the weekend is that we will have fresh elections in Belgrade. So it's going to be a very busy time with a lot of uh, opposition and indeed government activity over the next couple of months as we go towards these these polls being held afresh. And will, will that demand that Guy Delaney also uh, make his way to Belgrade? It'd be nice, wouldn't it? It's always good to have an excuse to go to Belgrade, my old stomping ground. So uh, one should hope so. Now let's uh, let's maybe uh, stay in the sort of the spirit of of, of travel um, and and talk about this train to split. I've you know of course this we're coming into of course the the time of year uh, when everyone is thinking about uh, a little bit of sunshine and and coastal life. Uh, what's in development, guy? 
Well, big development, really, if you want to get to the Dalmatian coast. Uh, it's not happening this summer, I'm afraid, Tyler, but it will be happening in the next couple of years, which is actually modernising the railway line between Zagreb and Split so you can get there in about the same time that a car takes on trains that don't look like something, uh, as the government minister responsible put it, uh, something out of the Wild West, because uh, they are peculiarly grim at the moment, uh, Croatian uh, train services, it has to be said. I, have, I had a bit of a moan about them on the Monocle Daily the other day uh, in, in, one of their, in one of their letters from their correspondence because uh, I was triggered, Tyler, by a piece in The Escapist uh, singing the praises of, of rail journeys. And one of them that was singled out was Ljubljana to Vienna, which I tried and, and, and to do and, and failed because it was just not going to be, be possible. So I was reflecting on how awful it is getting around the region by rail, which is something I and a lot of other people would really like to do, particularly for holidays. And now it looks like a lot of European money is going to go into this train line. Trains are going to run it up to 160 kilometres an hour, and it will at last be a viable alternative to road and indeed air. So just tell me quickly, though, within the region, if you had to scan all of the Balkan states, who's doing it best? Is anyone or... It's all fails. It's all fails. I mean, really, genuinely. Maybe, I mean, Serbia's got one really good high-speed line from Belgrade to Novi Sad, um, and I shared the maiden journey with uh, Alexander Vucic and Viktor Orban uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's, that's meant to be going all the way to Budapest, and we've been hearing about this for a long time, and it's one of these things where they're building it from both ends at the same time, and they're yet to meet up. So in the short term, that's made the connectivity worse because uh, you can't get direct trains from Belgrade to Budapest at the moment or Belgrade to Zagreb, for that matter. Uh, in the longer term, that should be working. Um, and that's a pulling together money from Europe, Russia and China and expertise from all three areas. And I think that shows you the benefits of Serbia's foreign policy, which is to keep a foot in uh, several camps at once. Okay, I think we need to drink before we move on to uh, talk about uh, baby lasagna. So you have a, 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 this, a, a, one of these sort of territorial rows. Uh, there are some bubbles uh, involved. Uh, and yeah, and, and of course, uh, a bit of a, probably a sovereignty issue around, uh, around a particular well-loved beverage. I know you are fond of the wines of the region, Tyler. And so I wanted to give you this update on the row between Prošek and Prosecco. And th this has been rumbling on since Croatia joined the EU in 2013. So for the uninitiated, uh, Croatia has a very long established and traditional sweet dessert wine called Prošek. And as soon as they joined the EU, um, Italy cried foul, saying this, this sounds far too similar to Prosecco. Um, there's a bit of history as well between Italy and Slovenia over who actually came up with Prosecco, which might have been influencing Italy's uh, touchiness in these terms. And, and this has been going on and on. And there was a piece in one of the uh, Croatian media outlets the other day saying the European Parliament has now done all their uh, voting on, on these sort of things. And basically, it's now going to be down to the European Commission uh, in their Solomon-esque wisdom to decide who actually has the rights to call their wines what they want to call them. And, you know, whether consumers are so dense as to not be able to tell the difference between a a sparkling bit of Friday afternoon fizz and uh, a sweet after dinner uh, tipple. Are, are you a fan of a Prosek? <laughs> Not particularly. Oh. No, I think the, no, the, the sweet, I, sweet. Exactly. The, <laughs> <laughs> no, Juliet, Juliet, which is piping. Uh, Juliet, have you even tried Prosek before? No, it gives me a headache. I'd rather have a dark Trinidadian rum. Okay, so. all right, got. But, so, <laughs> that is. Okay, so, so so this is a bit of a it, it's it's a non-story. So the Italians are just overreacting. Oh, absolutely. Surprise, well, surprise. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm biased, probably, aren't I, living here? So, 
Okay, listen, okay, we, we've, we've teased this at the top of the program. Um, we sh- I should actually probably bring in um, one of our uh, standard Eurovision correspondents, uh, Emma. Um, should, do you think we should play the song first? And that, let's, let, well, let Guy, why don't you set, Guy, set it up for us first. As we were saying at the start of the program, most nations uh, who are part of the European Broadcasting Union who participate in Eurovision, they've already identified the songs that they're going to enter for the yep. 2024 edition, which is in Malmö. So, um, Guy, tell us a little bit about uh, the Croatian entry. Well, we have our winner, and I mean the winner of the whole thing. And this is uh, Baby Lasagna from Croatia. And with his song, and this has got the most Euro, Eurovision-tastic title I've heard in a long time, Rim Tim Taggy Dim. And uh, it is an absolute unstoppable earworm, uh, which has <laughs> actually got a little bit of substance to it, believe it or not. Um, but this, this entry, Baby Lasagna, it's one guy called Marko, and, and he was a last-minute entry for Croatia's oh, contest you don't say. to choose their song. And uh, he only got in because somebody else dropped out. And then he just crushed everybody in the popular vote, got 10 times more votes than the second place act. And the, uh, the Eurovision website, uh, the Eurovision boards at the moment, the fan boards, are going absolutely nuts for this particular song. Well, it sounds like the kids in the background are also going nuts as well uh, in, yeah. in, the town, in the town square. It'll be okay, Guy, we're going to play a little clip. We'll come back to you. Uh, but this is Baby Lasagna. Okay, well, we, we, we get it. Um, particularly fond of, yeah, I'm a big boy now, I sold my cow. Um, mm. Yeah, oh, pl- I don't know, playing to, of course, the, a rural vote, maybe, uh, farmers' protests, I, I don't know. Anyway, uh, Guy, do, do we have sort of, I don't know if they're sort of already running books and bets on this uh, already, but how this might do. Also, of course, it, you know, we do have to, uh, I haven't looked him up yet. Uh, you said it's Miko, Marco, what's his name? Marco uh, Purisic, I think it is. I need to check his surname again. I mean, I, I've just got baby lasagna in my head. Um, as a, I, I mean, it's a wise man, isn't it, really? Baby lasagna. You're not going to forget that name in a hurry. Um, but he's... Is he classically Eurovision handsome? He's uh, been described as an emo version of a Ken doll. Okay, yeah, I've I've got... Uh, their, their images are being, uh, being flat, flat, flashed up now. Uh, <laughs> From oh, your TikTok correspondent. Yeah. Okay. Let's. Uh, well. Let's. Let's see. Uh, Fabian, uh, does it appeal to you? Is it going to be playing in the car, Fabian, when you uh, when you get on, on your way home? Maybe the baby would like it. I think I'm. I'm not going to make any choices within the next ten years anymore. What's going to play on the audio radio? No, uh, Juliet. Are you? Are you? Are you? Are you going to be host? Are you going to be hosting a Eurovision party this Definitely year? Definitely coming. I'm. I'm coming. Yeah. Listen, if you. Yeah, yeah. If you. If you. Are you a fan of Andrea Mango, the one who won the Sandra? Yeah, but she. Yeah, like. but yeah. I. I, I watched. Not. Not annoying. I think it's. It, it's okay. I think the the Italian song will do well. It would be great to see Eurovision uh, head back to, to Italy, but it was the song that placed 18th. I think it was like Sancti Francesi. Um, yeah, uh, I think it's called uh, Amore in Bocca or Bocca Amore, something like that. Anyway, that, that to me, that was the winning song. That's the one I'm actually playing. It's, and you're going to hear it sort of on, on certainly on heavy, heavy repeat um, on, on Monocle Radio. Um, Guy, just, uh, just before we go, if you sort of do a little... Uh, Pull around from from Slovenia to to Croatia, Ser- Serbia. Um, Eurovision important or not so important? 
Yeah, people really enjoy it. I mean, they went mad for it here in uh, Slovenia last year because they're, they're the most popular band in the country. Uh, Joker Out were, uh, were were their representatives, and it was a real bit of national pride to actually get a song into the into the final, which they hadn't done for a number of years. And uh, regular listeners to Monocle might remember that one of the guitarists in that band uh, was my upstairs neighbour, and he used one of my guitars in the performance at, at, in Liverpool last year because that my that particular. Guitar under my mum's bed in Liverpool, Rickenbacker. And I, I volunteered to services. So there we go. I was at Eurovision, Tyler. Beat that. Okay. Yeah, very good. And I, I didn't know there was a, there was even sort of a, a musical background guy, but uh, we'll we'll explore that on another uh, edition. That's our Guy Delaney, uh, our Balkans correspondent, joining us uh, from Ljubljana this morning. Juliet, you've just passed me a note. Mm. You, of course, you you flagged uh, three stories. One, of course, is was about lying, lying, lying which yeah. you know, honesty is obviously the best policy. But yeah. none of us yeah. are actually honest. And you know, at what age you start lying at the between the ages of two and five? Yeah, that doesn't surprise Emma, me. Th- that yeah. doesn't surprise us, right? And it's it's actually a key part of your men- your child's mental development, Fabienne. Walking, becoming independent, and lying are all key. And if you're actually your child doesn't lie to you, there's a big problem. Okay, so right? th- this comes so, from where? This is from Mum's This is from Nat- National Geographic. Oh, no, that- no, no, yes. Okay. Yeah, why we lie, the science behind our deceptive ways. So it looks at all the different ways that we lie. I mean, criminals lie, maybe they're, they're you know, stealing money, or, you know, maybe Trump lies about how many people were at his inauguration compared to Barack Obama's. Richard Nixon might have, perhaps, lied a little bit and then we all though lie uh, often to avoid offending people like i do love that shirt you're wearing mm. today tyler right right yeah. right 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 so it's normal it's, yeah. and it's actually to be encouraged perhaps although of course if it's serious lies affairs you know things like that job applications lying on your cv that might not be but um problem is it's always easier to catch you out now with the digital world in the old days who could go and research what you'd put down on your cv harder that have to call up all those come now you just plug it into a chat gpt or an ai thing and it'll all, all your lies come okay. out uh, Fabian, okay uh, fabian i know i just want to on the on, just, just of course because uh, there is there's a, a baby on the horizon but i'm just interested in this point about so kids start to learn to to lie between two and five it's a good thing because this is about creative thinking this is about problem solving what 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 direction do they put they do they point it in juliet so, what's the question? I was looking at Emma's message who you, says well, Emma they used should, to lie uh, to Hugo uh, on New Year's uh, Eve <laughs> to convince him it was midnight when he didn't want to go okay, to sleep Okay, no, eight. but what I, I was just what's asking... The no, so the, the, the question is, why do they say it's actually it's important for kids to lie between two and five? Because it's a normal, because, natural human way of being. And it's about being. problem solving, creati- problem solving. creativity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, are you being gonna, socially are you, acceptable, probably. Yeah. 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 At a, yeah, I guess two to five and probably the play group, probably important, no? Yeah. In the sandpit? In the sandpit, maybe. Yeah. Uh, we're going to go to an editorial sandpit right now. We're uh, heading uh, back to London, uh, where Jeremy Leslie is standing by. I think most listeners uh, will know, certainly if they listen to The Stack, uh, a regular voice uh, behind Mag Culture, uh, but also a gentleman who delivers a, a bit of a, of a masterclass uh, as, as well, uh, because he's hosting The Flat Plan, um, which is an online magazine-making masterclass this weekend in London. Uh, Jeremy, great to have you uh, on the program. Maybe just set it up for us first. Uh, tell us, you know, why The Flat plan also for those of us not for, for many who are not in the business what is a flat plan i mean i can tell you but uh, why don't you tell our listeners morning tyler lovely to be here thanks for inviting me on yeah so 
We are in the middle uh, of, of the, the weekend of flat plan. Um, I guess, first of all, to answer your first question, uh, the flat plan is the is the is the hand the, the drawn map of a magazine that outlines the, the the flow and pace of the pages and makes sure everything's fitting. So that is, it's it's a it's an industry phrase, but we've adopted it for our masterclass, which we've been running now for six years. Uh, we're just in the middle of the sixth uh, edition now, uh, and that's going live at one o'clock again today, uh, live on Zoom to an international audience. Uh, of of wannabe publishers, we're we're helping the next generation of publishers to to move into real life publishing. And and just tell me because uh, you know when when people sign up for this, uh, what are you giving really the basics of actually saying, you know this this is a flat plan. This is this is how you pace a magazine. This is where the advertising needs to go, etc. Um, and how much of it is creative? Also at a time when we know that uh, that magazines, of course, need uh, a few commercial underpinnings as well. It's well, well in, in, an awful lot of what we do at Mag Culture is creatively orientated, um, and, and in a way, this is—it's not the—it's not the opposite because you can't you can't uh, withdraw creativity purely, but but it is a, it's a more fundamental kind of uh, dealing with the aspects of of, of uh, there's some inspiration, but also we, we've got printers and distributors involved dealing with the real nitty gritty of how to make your magazine succeed. Um, so that we, you know, the, the, each day. Yesterday and today, we've run a four-hour session, which consists of a series of talks from specialists, including editors and art directors, and the printers and distributors, and then followed by a lengthy Q&A sessions, which allow everyone to kind of really dig deeper into into their particular areas. But it's very much, yeah, it it, it is the it's the nitty gritty of of the, the stuff that they they don't tell you about magazines. And and where are people joining uh, you from internationally? Because this is interesting. You are uh, a London, uh, of course, based business uh, and and brand, and of course, you do have international reach. So I'm wondering how how far and wide uh, does it spread uh, for for people to mm-hmm. to of course join the flat plan? Uh, well, it's it's fascinating. This year in particular, it's been particularly um, wide ranging. We've got we've got fifty attendees. Half of them are from abroad, and they range from Tokyo, Egypt, Sao Paulo. Um, Warsaw, Milan, Madrid. Um, it's a really broad range of people from all over, um, which is fascinating. And, and of course, people coming into the mix, do I have to disclose uh, before I, I sign up that this is the type of magazine uh, that I want to do, that I want to do a magazine nope. which is de- devoted to contemporary farming? Or does that beca- do you unpack that as you go through it? Or there, is it really you just, yeah, delivering the masterclass, people yeah. absorb it, and it, it winds up on page? Uh, it's, yeah. uh, well, well, obviously, there's a lot of chat along the way. So, we, so people reveal ideas and are sharing ideas, and people find partners to work with and collaborate on. Um, but it's not about, um, we're not asking for ideas in the first place. And we get a real mix of people. We get students who maybe are just kind of interested in the idea and they've not even perhaps got a kernel of something they want to make yet, but they're interested in making something. Uh, then we get uh, people, there's several, several examples this time, of people who really got an idea and they just want kind of extra help and support to, to lift it to the next stage. Jeremy, just let's uh, step outside of, of of that and maybe just uh, uh, you know have have your sort of take on yeah what the past year looked like in in independent publishing and and just magazine publishing in general and and maybe yeah we're we're coming to the close of the of the first quarter of this year as well how, how you see the state of, um, of of the periodical business and also obviously very encouraging that you've got fifty people signing up who still want to do magazines of course as 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 young creators and, and publishers. 
Uh, yeah, well, that, that is one very positive sign uh, amongst a, a whole host of positive signs that we see. Um, since everything's reopened uh, post-pandemic, I think there's there's more people making wanting to make magazines than ever. We, we're getting more submissions of new projects and new ideas uh, coming to the shop. So there's, there's, there's more of a supply of, of new launches than we've ever seen. And equally, there's more people wanting to buy these magazines. So if, in, in our sector of, of, of the of periodical publishing, it's, it's very healthy. It's not so healthy elsewhere. Um, I think some of the big publishers are making some major missteps in, in, in some of the things that they've been doing. Um, but they're, you know, they're struggling with, with the overheads and the, and, and, and the traditional kind of cost basis that they, they operate in. But in the independent sector, things are very lively. There's lots of creativity, there's lots of ideas, and there's lots of new things happening. And just on that, uh, when you think about missteps, I've got a few ideas of, of my own when you think about the big publishers, but what are the one of the one or two things that you see happening when we look at the big media houses um, and, and their stable of titles? Uh, where are things going wrong? Uh, well, I think um, for, for me, one of the the, the lead, uh, what, I don't know, I don't want to say best. One of the worst examples <laughs> is uh, is is what's happening with the with all the international editions of Vogue magazine. I think um, you know Condé Nast have, are, are assimilating all their their big brands into into global single brands just at the moment. When I think people want a local point of view, they want something more specific, more niche, more specialised. But they're they're, they're kind of um, Com- c- combining them into these super brands, which I just think is a completely wrong move at this moment. Mm. And just um, you know, challenge uh, I guess at the mar- for the marketplace now, as you said, of course, with Mag Culture, you're you're there, your platform to get these independent titles out. Um, I guess one of the things is we probably need also just more distribution of these independents because yes, you can go online, you can do a flip, but there's there's still nothing sort of beats going to a newsstand and having that that yeah. impulse of point of purchase. Absolutely, absolutely. For me, you know, and again in the, in the digital content sphere, you know, I mean, oh, even that phrase makes me feel ill. But um, you know, the digital content's been suffering recently with, with lots of closures and I think you can't beat uh, the printed item. It, one of the things I'm going to be talking about in the flat plan later today is just this idea, this difference of, of the end user in, in, in print is that they are readers, they're not consumers they're readers and I think as soon as you're, you're, you're online and, and engaging in that environment, everything you do you're consuming and it's a relationship of, of consumption and payment Whereas as soon as you buy a magazine, you've, you've made the transaction and then you can take it away and it's yours and you can enjoy it and be a reader and experience it properly. Fantastic words. Uh, Jeremy Leslie from Mag Culture uh, joining us at our studios in London. Thank you very much for that. Just quickly, Fabian, did you, did you ever develop magazines, uh, little, little small projects, big projects, grown-up projects? Uh, yeah, I co-founded a magazine when I was 18 years old with friends. Um, yeah. Is the magazine still with us? Unfortunately not. No, well, we well, never managed well, to finance it. What was it called? Like, it's, it was called Tonic Magazine. And uh, yeah, so we were all like doing student newspapers at school. And then we, we decided to do it like nationally in Germany. And for a couple of years, it worked well. And then we all went abroad or like started to work full time. Uh, uh, Gin and Tonic? Very, very, very quickly. <laughs> Ju- <laughs> Juliet? No, I was never. already digital when You're I was already... writing my columns on parenting okay. and Emma, stuff like that. Emma, very quickly. I used to run the school newspaper and uh, what we loved. Of course, you did. Of course, I did. And Jeremy and I were talking about the fact that in the old days, it was typewriters, 
Prit sticks, scissors and paper, and now it's all online. And it's it's a strange but wonderful and fast new world. We'll have to leave it there. Juliet Lindley, Fabian Kinsman, also Emma Nelson. Thanks to Guy Delaney, Jeremy Leslie, also Andrew Tuck. And, of course, uh, Lena Stiffian and uh, Mary Levevin for helping us. We're back next week. Have a good week. Goodbye.